Today's guest on Empowering Workplaces, formerly Work at Life, has the answer to this hiring question. What's the most important interview question of all time? Don't know about you, but we're dying to know. Join us as we talk to the brilliant Lou Adler, the Sherlock Holmes of recruitment and a top LinkedIn influencer, writing about the latest trends in hiring, employment, and recruiting top talent. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. Hey, thank you very much for inviting me, Maddie and Sonia. Happy to be here and happy to see if I can put all of those questions into one little paragraph for a complete summary. So we'll give it a shot. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> go, go for it. So that was, so it's interesting because when I was on, before we started the recording, Sonia indicated to me that she went to the mm -hmm. University of Michigan uh, and it reminded me a story because from many, many years ago, actually my first management job was manager of capital budgeting, obviously 50 plus years ago, but a long time ago. Uh, and it was, I had to trans, uh, relocate from Southern California to Michigan, which wasn't necessarily the most pleasant kind of thing to do, <laughs> but I was made manager of capital budgeting from a financial analyst. And my background prior to that was engineering. So it's kind of a weird background. But I, uh, and I was probably there and working in Troy, Michigan. You might be familiar with that, Sonia, but it's right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. <laughs> And I get a call about 11 o'clock in the morning. My boss calls me and says, Lou, get over here to the University of Michigan right away. I've got 15 students. I got an interview this afternoon, MBA students, and I can't do it all myself. I said, Chuck, I can't do it. I got, we got this report that I got to present to the CEO and the CFO tomorrow morning, and I got eight to 10 hours of work to do. I cannot get there. He said, get over here right away. No excuses. And then he said this. There's nothing more important to hiring great talent and being a great manager than hiring great people. So if you want to be a great manager, you first got to hire great people. Get over here right away. Hung up the phone. I went over there. Uh, didn't get back to the office till 10 o'clock at night. We took six or eight of those students out to dinner, made offers to five MBA students. And those four of the five all became senior executives at major corporations. Uh, we didn't leave the office till three o'clock in the morning presented a handwritten report to the CEO of a $2 billion group. He was a little bit disappointed that uh, that report was handwritten and asked, asked Chuck why and asked you why. And he said, we were out recruiting at the University of Michigan. We absolutely need some top MBA financial analysts. And there's nothing more important than hiring great people. Nothing. Everything else can wait. The group president looked at me and said, you're absolutely right. And I, this report is great. And that was a lesson I learned about leadership and management. First day I became a manager. Now, I've been a recruiter for a lot of years after that. But to me, that was such a relevant story of how important hiring is. And I think too many people lose the uh, that insight. And they said, I got to hire quickly. No, you got to hire right because it's a game changer. So let me just open that. with that. And hopefully we're uh, good to go. And we can probably leverage everything else you've got in terms of questions, Sonia and Maddie, from that <laughs> viewpoint. Oh, that's perfect. And I couldn't agree more. And actually, I started my career in, in talent acquisition. I worked for CareerBuilder for almost 10 years out of Chicago. Well, and so, too, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I imagine um, it's to me, I think the people that we surround ourselves with have such a tremendous impact on our lives. And to your point, when it comes to management, when it comes to success, 
I think there's no decision that's more important than that. And so I, I love how much that one event clearly had an impact on you as an individual and then also what followed in your career. And it's, I think it's so important to share today and it's so important as we go through ebbs and flows of hiring and looking for people to your point. I've in my career been faced with, I have so much work, I need help desperately. But I think if we were ever lucky in our lives to not have that hire that we made quickly because we felt like we needed somebody more than waiting a little bit longer for the right person. I think if we were never in that position, we were lucky. I think if we were, we know not to do it again because it, it the effects that it causes, it really snowballs. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that story. I think for everybody listening, it's a really important one to remember. It is one and it's hard. Unfortunately, under the pressure to get work done, you tend to make short-term decisions, even though you know it's wrong. So even if you've made a mistake, yeah. you keep on repeating this. Oh, I got to get all this work done. And candidates have the same viewpoint. They got to, oh, who's paying the biggest money? Most people, most candidates take jobs. They don't even know what the job is, but they just know what the pay package is. So there's a lot of short-term and narrow-minded thinking when it comes to making offers and accepting them. So I think the focus on what is the work, and that gets to the other question, Maddie, which I'll let you ask again. Uh, understanding the job and understanding the work and understanding people is so important. Uh, and it's not easy to do, but it's critical to do. Yeah. So what is the most important interview question of all time then? Well, let me kind of tell you another story, uh, which will bring you, it's kind of ties all those threads together. From that job in Michigan as manager of capital budgeting, I quickly became uh, manager of financial planning. Then I became a director of financial planning and business operations for another division within that corporation back in Southern California. Then that went out of business. It was in consumer electronics. Then I got into manufacturing, back into automotive products. Then I had a group president who I hated. Uh, he's a pain in the ass. Pardon me. You probably have to cut that part out. <laughs> uh, he was a micromanager and I didn't want any management. And I was running a company and I quit four times in one year, started using recruiters uh, and I quit. I literally gave him a six month notice, quit, became a recruiter. Uh, and this is the point that I'll get to your question, Maddie, which is the most important interview question of all time. But there's something you got to do before you ask that question. And it happened on my first search assignment, which was for a plant manager in making automotive components. It was in Southern California. And the president of the company whom I knew, I gave four months notice. I built a lot of search assignments before I started. Uh, and he said, Lou, I need someone with 10 to 15 years experience, has an engineering degree, an MBA would be great. Got to be this kind of personality, good communication skills, results oriented, and have a lot of background in these manufacturing processes and listed four of them. You know, never going to have hire that kind of person. But I <laughs> said, Mike, that is not a job description. That is a person description. A job doesn't have skills, experience, and competencies. That's what people have. Let's put the person description in the parking lot. What do you want the person to do? And what would it take for this person to be successful in your mind over the course of the first year or two? I said, nobody's ever asked me that question. I said, well, I'm asking it to you because I'm not going to find someone who they got to do the work. And it turned out, he said, we've got to turn the plant around. That's fine. So we said, okay, let's go through the plant. We spent an hour in the plant. We found six or seven things had to be turned. And they were big things processing, logistics, labor performance, a host of things wrong with that plant. But it was seven things. Three weeks later, I found somebody who could turn that plant around. And that leads to the first the question you asked, Maddie, what's the most important interview question of all time? Now that I know what the work is, 
I just asked the candidate, tell me the biggest thing you've ever done in your entire life. So I asked a candidate for that job 40 plus 44 years ago, hey, tell me about the biggest turnaround you ever had. Now, I'm helping a company last week, major corporation looking for a CFO. They had this list, you know, they, another search firm doing, I don't do recruiting, but another search firm doing the search. You're, most of you would be familiar with this company. I asked the CEO, what does the person need to do to be successful in this CFO job? And then I, and the, we talked, I certainly set up all of the financial planning, reporting, forward-looking diagnostics, audit the system, convert to a new ERP, worldwide enterprise planning system. So there's a lot of this stuff that would be traditional, but I wanted to know the timeline, the complexity, the resources. So now I interview a candidate on Friday, two days ago, or, you know, last Friday. Um, first question, the guy looked like a good guy. He had already presented by the recruiter. So what's the biggest thing you've ever accomplished? And he went through, but he, he didn't give me a good answer. It just, it was kind of a lot of little things. And so I told him, I can't, I'm disinclined to move forward with this candidate because that most significant work he's done seems like it was focused on the accounting systems, not the macro impact of what you have to be to be a CFO in a major corporation. Mm. So you got to know the job and series of performance objectives. And yes, hey, what's the most important thing you've ever accomplished? I spent almost a half hour digging into that accomplishment. So while it's a simple question, getting the right answer is hard. And sometimes you got to peel the onion. And some people aren't great communicators. But if you really focus on it, you'll see if there's a match between what the job needs and what the person has accomplished. So that's that whole answer. That's everything. That's my whole life. Um, <laughs> well, I really, really love that. And I want to just react to that because um, while I did not ask that question, um, but I love it and I wish I had, um, I have. Everybody wishes they have. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit of a similar story, which makes me feel good that I was kind of leaning in the same direction. But in the uh late 2000s, I was consulting um, as a social media strategist. And back then, social media was just starting. So it was early days of Twitter, and Facebook, you know, all of these things. And, um, and I did a lot of hiring for my, my clients, um, who needed people who knew how to use social media, right? So they needed, you know, young people who were familiar with these new tools, um, and who could, also sort of follow the rules of working for an actual organization and not just, you know, go crazy with it. Um, and I was actually not really not interested in resumes, but I was interested in journalism and communications majors um, who had curiosity and who were people, you know, people, people, they were, they were good at um, interacting with people online specifically. Um, so they weren't just good writers, but they were good at that kind of um, fairly informal um, engagement online. But, but the bottom line of this story is that, it, like, it feels to me like I was actually doing a little bit of what you're advising, which is, you know, what's looking for the person who will do, you know, what the real end goal is. And for social media, it's the ability to build community online, you know, and to grow your audience, right? So as opposed to just people who knew how to use Facebook or how to use LinkedIn, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it seems like in a very tiny kind of microcosm of an example, like a similar way to to have thought about those kinds of jobs. Well, I think if you're thinking of outcomes, that's really the issue. But in that case, I probably would have 
And I really like people to bring in samples of their work. Mm-hmm. So if I knew, I, I like him because, I mean, yeah. I remember talking with an engineer once uh, and he was so quiet and I was looking for senior engineering VP or something and he couldn't get the guy to talk. I mean, I just, I said, tell me what your product is and describe it as a black box and tell me what goes in and what goes out. Uh, and all of a sudden the guy just lit up. I couldn't get him to stop. Oh, it goes in, you know, it was, but it was interesting But getting people to talk about the work in some way. And I don't know, I think your intuition was right is, Hey, we got to look at income and output and how people accomplish things. And I yeah. think that's really kind of the focus of what we're trying to do here. Obviously, yeah, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you never get there. So it doesn't really matter. That's why I really focus on building a performance-based job description at the beginning. Yeah, so speaking of that, I'm sorry, go ahead, Sonia. No, I was just going to say one thing that I'm thinking about is just like what you're describing sounds like a lot of it comes from experience. A lot of it comes from really knowing your trade in, in recruitment and talent acquisition. And I'm thinking about some of the maybe smaller businesses, maybe midsize, but probably more in the smaller end where hiring managers are more than likely ones that are sourcing their own teams, right? Maybe they don't have a talent acquisition team or they don't work with a recruiter where even more often it would be likely that they're looking for a specific skill set or looking for specific experience. I'm thinking just how relevant this conversation is to that group of people, because when you're recruiting for a living, you start to understand and even learn if, if not from somebody else from trial and error around how to really look for that person and how to look for those different experiences or different approaches. But when you're a hiring manager and you're doing a lot of different things, and you're also hiring as a part of your job, I imagine this could be a really huge pain point. Do you think, well, okay, this is the job and this is the skills, and now I'm just going to try to match that up and and how painful well, that makes that hiring process? A number of levels of complexity. <laughs> how do you find the people, which is not insignificant? Then how do you no. assess the people, which is yes. totally different? So let me go back and give you a story from about 20 years ago. The first story was 40 years ago. The other story was last <laughs> week. But about 20 years ago, and I had given a lot of talks on how we call it the performance-based interview, which is really two mm-hmm. questions. One of the questions is, hey, tell me what you've accomplished. Uh, but I had given a talk to a business group, and I don't remember the name of the business group, but about two weeks later, and I said, there were two critical questions you have to ask. And this was the topic of the uh, discussion. I gave an hour discussion, maybe an hour and a half. I don't remember. Uh, so I get a call two weeks later from the CEO of a company. This was in Southern California. I know they made consumer products and they had wood. I just kind of remember the there was wood. I don't know what the furniture or wood. I don't know exactly what that was. Irrespective of that, I get a call from the president. It's probably 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh, and he says, Lou, I was at your presentation a couple of weeks ago. What are those two questions? I said, well, it doesn't matter what the two questions are. What are you looking for? He said, it doesn't matter. Give me the two questions. And he was really pushing. Give me the two questions. Give me the two questions. I said, well, what's the job? He said, the VP operations. I said, when I come out there tomorrow and we understand the job, as I was a recruiter at the time, and get paid for doing a search for a VP operations. He said, I don't have time. I don't have time. And he was really pushing. Tell me it's a VP operations. Tell me the damn two questions. He was really getting aggravated. I said, gee, this is, he wants these two <laughs> questions. And it's nonetheless, I persisted. I said, why are you so insistent on the two questions? He said, the candidate's outside in the hallway. I said, oh. oh. Why you <laughs> I said, well, that's funny. <laughs> but do not interview the candidate in the office. Do this. And it was a VP operations, so again, manufacturing. I said, walk through your manufacturing facility. 
And every time you come to a problem area, describe the problem and pick the five or six biggest ones. Describe the problem you have. And, and one of them was scrap. I said, so for example, you got a lot of scrap. Describe the problem and then ask the candidate two questions. The first question is, if you were to get this job, how would you solve this scrap problem? And spend five or 10 minutes having a back and forth discussion. Next question is, after if you like the answer, ask them, what have you accomplished that's most similar to that? And go around the, the, the factory and then call me in the afternoon. Um, we'll see what happens and I'll, we'll discuss it. He calls me about three or four o'clock that afternoon. He said, Lou, those are two great questions. Describe the, uh, the problem. He said, the candidate was great at telling me how he would accomplish the task and figuring out the solution and all that, but he had never done anything similar. So I might concluded he was a good consultant type staff guy, but not a hands-on operations guy. Why don't you come out as soon as you can and uh, we'll give you the search assignment. So I went out there, walked through the plant. What does a person need to do to be successful? Came up with five or six performance objectives. Then we found a candidate could do that work. So those are the real two questions is the one question is, how would you solve the problem? And what have you done that's most similar? And you got to do both. Sometimes I just say, what have you done? Biggest accomplishment related to that problem? And how would you solve the whole problem? But nonetheless, one gets at thinking skills, planning skills, thought skills. And the other one is, hey, have you ever done anything similar? Uh, so you kind of put those together. And I call it the do, 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 think pattern. For every thinking-based question, I, I want a lot of examples of actually doing it. And you kind of get the, the whole pick point, the whole person that way. Um, but you got to know the job. It doesn't make sense. And this is how you quickly get the job. So if somebody was for your job, Maddie, I'd say, hey, what does a person need to do? That one you talked about 20 years ago. What is, oh, they got to create a community using the latest state-of-the-art technology. Yeah. Or have they done anything like that where they take a new technology and adapted it for cross-purposes? I'd want to kind of mm -hmm. see that thinking. How do you communicate with people in a marketing sense? Well, that's part of it, too. So you kind of, yeah. once you understand the job, you can kind of, but if you don't know the job, you're kind of just fishing around and hoping for the best. And hopefully you see the person. And then you never do. Well, you might see the person, but it's probably not the right one for the job. So. So this is probably a good time to talk about our little um, quick data point, um, because really we want to dig into a little bit of whether in very recent times, you know, things have changed um, given, you know, all the layoffs that are happening, the great resignation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Sonia, do you want to share? Our yes. Absolutely. So we asked um, 300 workers around the U.S., is the company you work at impacted by the great resignation? And Maddie, as you were saying, there's so many different dynamics going on in the market. What we found is that still 39% of people said yes. Lots of people have left and were struggling to hire people to replace them. 18% of people said yes, we're trying to recruit, but new candidates keep taking other jobs at the last minute or ghosting us. And then the remaining two said either, no, we're not recruiting right now at 18%, or no, that's not relevant to us. Our hiring is the same as always. So 24%, they said there hasn't been any change. So 57% of people said, yes, the company has been impacted by the great resignation and they're either hiring um, and struggling to find people or people are like really, you know, leaving offers at the last minute. And 
Lou, given the the current situation, what <laughs> how does that data look to you, and what are you seeing as a dynamic inside the organizations today? Well, let me kind of just take a bigger picture. Uh, what causing the great resignation or layoffs or ghosting and all this stuff? In my mind, it's all this narrow-minded thinking. You don't know the job, uh, so if you don't know the job, but you and a candidate accepts that job for the most money, they get on the job and they don't like the job. Uh, so then if they don't like the job, but it's problematic that they, who knew, you don't know what the job was. The job was basically an ill-defined lateral transfer. And if you don't like the job, you don't like the boss, but you're getting a lot of money. Uh, mm -hmm. That's not the right job, but I took it for what I thought with all these promises. So right away, you're dissatisfied. You're dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. So that would say, ah, I'm a little disappointed. So early part of this year, hey, and last year, I'm going to quit. I can find another job instantly. So mm -hmm. one would say that, of course, job satisfaction has been low for the last 30 years. Gallup keeps track of it every quarter, a job satisfaction. Um, so if it's low, and I'm going to tend this low because people take jobs that they shouldn't have taken in to begin with. So now you've got the great resignation. I'll see if I, I'll, I'm disappointed. I'll find another job. I'll go to Career Builder, or Monster, Indeed, or Dice, uh, wherever. And I think these job boards have cheapened work. People before, when I was started work, you couldn't change jobs easily. It was, it, you had to look at a newspaper and it took weeks and mail. And then the short-term frustrations were minimized. Oh, I can deal with this. Uh, so I think we've made work cheap. Uh, and I think as a result, people are a little dissatisfied. That caused a great resignation. Now we got the quiet uh, quitting. Oh, I just don't want to work. So a lot of things have happened here. So I don't know the statistics. I think they're correct. You know, are they purely correct? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is economic change. Now we see a little slowdown. So I'm not going to quit. I better just suck it up and stay in my job because I'm not going to find another job. Uh, but I think once we come out of it, we'll go back to the standard uh, short term promises. I'll take the job. I'll go back to it. And I think there's just too much short term thinking um, in this whole process. And I think that to me is fundamental from 44 years ago. It hasn't changed. So I look at all these things. I say, that's probably right. You could justify any numbers you want, but I think it's we've cheapened work. And as a result of cheapened work, people are valuing the wrong things, money um, as opposed to job satisfaction. And I, so that's a hard thing, but that's what I sell in, in a way. Yeah. I sell, hey, let's take a look at the, don't make long-term decision using short-term data. Uh, making a job decision is big time stuff. And discriminate yeah. the 25%, don't make it superficially. And I think uh, every if everybody did it that way, the top 75%, everyone would be better off. We'd have less turnover. Job boards would uh, not make as much money. But let's recognize job boards are in the business to sell job posts and they love turnover. So you got to be, let's be real frank. You follow the money. The money is, hey, we want you to change your job. I mean, I'm 50, I'm 76 years old. I still get things from LinkedIn. Oh, it's 30 jobs that you're perfectly qualified for. One of them actually looked pretty good, but I, <laughs> I, I, I they didn't call me back, which I was kind of, was director of strategic talent for Pricewaterhouse. I said, I'd, I'd be a fun job. That, would that be sounds cool. But yeah. <laughs> they did not call me. And even though I was perfectly qualified. Um, well, I think it's interesting where you're saying how in some ways little has changed in so many years and probably how, enticing money can still be mm -hmm. to people, even though now we talk a lot more about fulfillment and calling and the, the trade-offs people are willing to make. But when it comes to some of our decision-making, when you see the numbers in front of you, 
I guess it's somewhat natural to say, well, I'll take a chance because if this works, if I feel really fulfilled and I'm making this much money, it's phenomenal. And I guess if I don't, it's relatively easy to change jobs. Right. I think that's what exactly. the tricky yeah. thing is. Yeah. Like, and now it's even, it's even easier. And I remember, you know, some years ago and it, it happens maybe still a little bit today, you look at somebody's resume or profile and you think, oh, okay, they've been in this job for 10 years. So ooh, what happened with this one, you know, with two. And recently I look at resumes and I see one year, one year, one year, one year. And I'm like, wow, that, in a weird way, it's almost become much more of a norm um, than, than it was in the past. So it's, it's just wild how some of these dynamics, how some things in decision-making have stayed the same, but how some of the dynamics have changed in that all of that switching, again, is not that abnormal anymore when you see somebody's work history. Yeah, it's, it, 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 part of it, though, is sad, though, because now the CFO job, to really do what they need to do, it's a two- to three-year job. Uh, and if a person hasn't been in a job, they don't have the chance to handle that kind of a, a accomplishment. Uh, yeah. Some jobs. So if you see someone with a lot of one year, one year, one year, they're doing one year months worth of work. So they're doing projects that only have a longevity of a month. So it's a lot yeah. of it's gig work. So you start thinking about the work itself. And sometimes they like the work. Sometimes they don't. But I'm going to I kind of want to make this one statement to make sure that we include this. Let's assume I call Maddie up for a specific job. And my standard pitch as a recruiter is, hey, Maddie, would you be open to explore a situation if we're clearly superior to what you're doing today? And can, of course, candidates can say, of course I would. But most candidates say, what's the money? But I then say, it doesn't matter what the money is unless it's a career move. And that kind of gets some half of them. They say, no, what's the money? What's the money? <laughs> Think about this. And this is the real important question that everybody should listen to. Think about the best job you've ever had. Best job you've ever had. Was the satisfaction of that job due to the money you made every month or every uh, two weeks? Or was it something else about the work itself or the people you're working with? And it's always about something else. Yeah. I said, so figure out what the something else is and then see if the money works. But don't start with the money. Start with the something else. And so few people think long term yeah. that way. And to me, that's yeah, a sea I change if you do it. But human nature doesn't let people do it. The money is, oh, I got to take this. Well, and and you're avoiding the pain. problem also is that a lot of people have been, or there's sort of a, a, a non-truth around what a hiring manager is saying about how amazing their company is and what the candidate is saying about how amazing their experience is in the hopes that those two things match and you get the job, right? But in fact, once you're in the job, maybe things are not as rosy as the hiring manager said they were, <laughs> or... And or maybe your experience is not quite as well matched as you thought or hoped it would be. So it's it's almost like the whole system of how we hire and recruit people isn't really based on the full kind of authentic truth of what it's like to work somewhere. What do you think about that? Well, part of what I did early on, uh, I was one of the first recruiters to give a full year guarantee. Very early on, one client said, you give us a one year guarantee, I'll give you all my business. And I didn't really want to do it, but I did it. But when you give a one year guarantee, you have to focus on what I call a win win hiring outcome, which means at the end of a year, the candidate says, I'm glad I took this job. And the hiring manager says, I'm glad I hired that person. That requires a lot of insight with respect to what motivates the candidate, what the real work is, what the environment yeah. like, what the manager's like. I mean, you really... Uh, and I learned those things, but I didn't do it 
altruistically. I did it because I don't want to do the work over, give the money back. So, um, <laughs> right. so it was a business decision on my part. What I didn't understand is that candidates, it was their life at stake and they took it superficially and hiring managers, their team was uh, at stake and they did it superficially. Everybody focused on this short term. What do I get on the start date? I got to fill the job quickly. And it's changing that dimension of, hey, don't make, and this is somebody else said this, don't make long-term decisions using short-term data. And everybody does. I mean, Sonia, So what's the solution a- then? Because we're, um, we're getting a little close to time. So I want to make sure we get into some advice. Like, what's the solution to this? for Maybe for hiring managers. Do you have some Yeah, um, I tell you, find the job series of performance objectives that define the exact work. And this is what I tell candidates. So if I was talking to you, Maddie, I'd say, Maddie, if you were my candidate, let's assume I said, you know, I'm only going to present four candidates to the hiring manager. So there's a 25 to 30 percent. You will get a job offer. But before I make that job offer to you, I'm going to ask you this question. Forget the money. Do you want the job? And you have to tell me why this job's a good career move for you. You have to mm-hmm. define the job itself, the team involved, the project you're going to be working with, the impact you could make, the work-life balance. And yes, the compensation's got to be competitive. But if you can't define the job in terms of a career move, so a year from now you can say, I'm glad I took this job, we're not going to make you an offer. And I think every candidate should do that. I mean, I do it for my candidates, but I'm not a recruiter anymore. But I've always done that. And if a candidate can't articulate those things, I know something was messed up in that interviewing process. So that's what I tell candidates. To me, that's the best advice you can make. Don't make long-term decisions. Ask yourself, put the money in the parking lot. Do I really want this job? Now, it's up to the hiring manager to say, I've got to give that candidate all that information so that he or she can make that decision. So I think those are the two. Share information, but it all starts with understanding what the work is and what the environment behind that work is. Well, I absolutely love that. So do you think as somebody, if somebody's looking for a job, they should evaluate each different job that they might be applying to with that, those criteria in mind? Like really well, now you've opened up a Pandora's box. It's a little bit hard <laughs> for a candidate, but here's what I would say to candidates. Do not apply to a job posting. A waste of time. Just a waste of time. Do not apply. You have to use, I wrote an article on LinkedIn that I think I'm not positive title is something about 15 ways to hack a job. So if you look on LinkedIn, hack a job and Lou out, you'll find it somewhere. But basically cool. it says use that lead, that posting as a lead to a company and look at all the other jobs they've got. Oh, they've got, then you'll kind of a sense of what the job is. Then try to find someone on LinkedIn who's the hiring manager, the boss of the hiring manager, and give a little story of how you get in. I mean, that's so I would say that you have a higher probability if you use the door to get in rather than going through the front door. You go through the front door is a waste of time. One in 100, one in 200 people get job offers of posting. So don't bother. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Now, I'm sure if, if you, the job boards don't won't like me to say that, but that's the truth. <laughs> Well, we always we always love creative and controversial advice. <laughs> well, definitely controversial. Creative, I'm not sure, but definitely controversial. <laughs> well, I think we're just about at time, but um, Lou, there's so many more questions we have, but this was a really great conversation. Um, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Any last, last bits of advice? Well, the only or- thing I say is, there's a book in the corner somewhere. I can't tell what corner it is, though. Uh, Hire with your head. A lot of the ideas that I presented are in that book. And it's I don't make big bucks from the book. So, But I think if this you find this important, and I think it is, 
understanding the work is a series of performance objectives. If you're a candidate, ask the interviewer, hey, what does this person need to do to be successful? So you can kind of create that idea. But once you understand the job at the, as a series of performance objectives, you at least got a chance to hire great people. Uh, and if you don't have that, it's pure random luck. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Sonia. Do you have any last thoughts? No, just thank you, Lou. I did this is a topic very near and dear to my heart. And I think you brought a lot of really good perspectives and different ways, I think, to look at hiring. So I, during a time now that probably every person that joins an organization, it's always really critical. But I think now during a time that it's not necessarily hiring in high volumes, I think that this meaningfulness of how you create a match is even more important for both organizations and individuals. So thank you so much for for sharing your stories, for sharing your experience. I think it comes at a, at a perfect time for people to leverage it. Cool, good. Thank you very much for inviting me, guys. Hopefully that was helpful. See yeah. you sometime Thanks in 2023, so right? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Thank you so All much, right. Thanks Lou. Thanks for listening, Bye -bye, everybody.